sinners and saints. Dust off those horns and halos. It's time for Alec After Dark. Sinners and saints, have you ever had one of those days or weeks or months or centuries where it feels that everything is against you? Like some unseen force is just shoving a grapefruit in your face and making you take the sour into your eyeballs until they bleed out with salty tears. Damn, that sounded pretty bitter, didn't it? I guess I am a little bit. It's been one hell of a day or two, and I'm tired. I'm wondering, has anyone else noticed this in your city or or where you live? It seems like everybody that's driving a vehicle these days wants to be a top. They spend so much time riding my ass in their, their cars. It's like they must like cover the front bumper with lube and are getting ready to shove it in. It seems maniacal the way some people drive these days. Maybe it's just a Southern thing. I mean, we are stupid on the highways, even if it's not snowing or raining. But it just seems like people have lost their minds when they get behind the wheel. Maybe it's a Rona thing. You think COVID messed with people's brains so much that they can't drive anymore? Or was it the reaction to being locked down in the pandemic? Maybe people have reverted back to some sort of Neanderthal of a creature or something like that. Maybe it is. Could be, couldn't it? But the thought of being raw dogged by Chevy Volt on Interstate 40 is not one that I'm particularly excited about. And I hope you're having a better day than I am. I hope you're feeling well. I hope you're feeling sexy. I hope you're horny if you want to be. I wish I was. But I'm sitting here nursing my Diet Pepsi, wishing I was drinking some vodka. But you know what? I'm not going to do that tonight. I am not in the right frame of mind. Maybe I'll eat some seedless grapes in just a little while. That sounded butch, didn't it? Yeah, I thought so. (laughs) So welcome all you sinners and saints. If I haven't said that already, and I probably have, I think tonight we might just be a little more scattered. I'm not sure exactly where this episode's heading. It seems like I need to vent and talking to you is a great way to do it especially when I don't have to necessarily stop to take unwanted advice. Speaking of which, I need to learn a lesson about offering advice, wanted or unwanted. It seems like no matter what I do, I just cause more trouble with such an offering. I guess I need a mule to kick me in the teeth or something to get my head out of offering such courtesies, even if it is good advice. Are you wondering what I did? Well, I'm not telling just yet, but let's just say that in a discussion, I offered my opinion, which was asked for, and then I guess the opinion wasn't what the person wanted to hear. Maybe they were a Trump supporter, you think? They never want the truth, right? They just want the lies. Sounds like something that a member of the gritty old pedophile party would want. But I digress. That's the bitterness coming out of me. Holy shit. I need a crank it back a couple of notches, don't I? I almost said fucking notches there. Maybe fucking nachos. Mm, Nachos would be good, wouldn't they? 
Oh, you'd swear I was high or something, wouldn't you? Well, I'm not, unfortunately. You know, I guess this episode could be about, well, I think I've gotten a lot of questions about or comments about how the, the, the podcast hasn't really addressed what it's like to be a Southern person in the sense of the actual culture, especially when you're trying to combine that with being a gay person. I guess maybe we'll try to we'll try to address that tonight in this episode. Some of the challenges of being a gay person in a country environment. One of the things is is that we have to try to dispel a lot of the stereotypes that people from the South have to endure. And by the way, I do believe that many times that a stereotype is based on some truths. It may be just exaggerated, but they are truths. And how would you know? I guess one of the ways I would say that you know you're in the South is that if you're at a bar and you catch the eye of a straight guy and he takes you outside and for maybe a makeout session and he slips you the tongue but your mouth is filled with chewing tobacco, yeah, you're in the South. If you bring a guy to orgasm and he screams out, yee-haw, you might be in the South. If you're in a restaurant and the menu has hog jowl, fat back, chicken gizzards, and frog legs, you might be in the South. If you're in a restaurant and you hear somebody order sweet tea, They're probably from the South. Now, are you getting the picture? Yeah. Sometimes food is the best way to judge where someone is from based on what they order. And of course, we can't overlook the accent. And that's where I become some sort of enigma, apparently, because I've been told many times that I can't be from the South because I don't seem to have an accent, and I talk too fast. Well, for me, I do hear the accent sometimes, especially if I listen to the podcast when I'm editing. It comes through very clearly, but I'm okay with not having the accent, and I know that mine is nowhere near as thick as a lot of people that I know in this area, but a lot of people find it charming. I find it dangerous, but that's because I'm a gay person, and this is not only the Bible Belt, but the land of the KKK. But if I'm being totally honest, I do come from a very poor background. We were truly farm people, and my grandfather, who I never knew, he he died when I was a little over a year old. He had purchased a lot of land, and not only did he have a regular job, but he ha- he ran the farm. And so everybody that was in the family worked on the farm. That is not an easy living. At least you have food as long as the crops come in okay and not spoiled. But when I say we were poor, we were poor. I'm talking about having to use an outhouse, not having complete indoor plumbing at first when I was really young. I remember the cold in the winter times when the house we lived in wasn't so well insulated. We had a big fireplace and you try to stay near it in the middle of the night. 
you covered up triple and quadruple, not only with blankets if you had them, but you would put the coats on top of you and keep your socks and clothes all on. It was, it was misery. It was, it was not good. And I do remember my mother, I don't want to disparage my mother, but I remember when we were growing up, how ashamed she was that we were so poor. Not in a bad way. She just didn't want people to think bad of us, but that already happened anyway. It didn't matter if we were poor or rich. We definitely were richer than a lot of people in the area. My family is very successful now, but in those early, early years, we could rival Dolly Parton in her boastful stories about being poor. She gets to brag about being poor because she's super rich now, but it's okay. She's a wonderful person. We all love her. We do. It's funny that I mentioned Dolly Parton. I can remember being on a flight from London coming home to Tennessee, and there was a couple sitting beside me, and he was very talkative. He was Scottish, and his girlfriend was Irish, and they asked me where I was from, and I said, Tennessee, and they had no clue what Tennessee was, and I said, Nashville country music and and they were still kind of confused and I said Dolly Parton and they knew immediately and I said well I'm from the same area that Dolly Parton is from and it made them so excited they had so many questions then about Tennessee and Dolly and Dollywood and even more excited when I mentioned that Elvis Presley lived in Memphis and his estate was there Graceland and you could visit it and they got super excited And he said, well, we'll have to someday visit Tennessee. And I'm like, yeah, you would be very, you would be really liked in Tennessee. They would love your accent. Anyway, a fact, use it as you wish. So after saying all that, I guess maybe I should focus on stories that are sort of in the vein of my adventures with the more... uh, Country Boys, the Hillbillies, how about that? And they are definitely a different breed of male, that's for sure. So, well, for a while, and I've mentioned Jessica before, that we would hang out at the gay clubs in town, and the head bartender at Carousel deemed us partners in crime. He was always in admiration of how we worked a crowd, if We were each other's wingmen, if you want to call us that. If I wanted someone and I needed help, she would do it. If she wanted someone, I would help her get him. But as a courtesy to her, we used to go to the gay clubs all the time. And sometimes she wanted to go to a straight bar. And there is one in town, a very large country dance club that we frequented a lot. It was very unusual. It would open relatively early, like three or four o'clock, I think. A lot of the older folks who love to line dance, they would go early. And the the club, while they would still do country music, line dancing and all that, up until the night, as it got closer to midnight, it evolved into more dance music and it got crazy in there. So it was like, let's kind of behave for the good people and then get wild when they leave. She had, Jessica never had trouble getting dick there if she wanted it. And ironically, I didn't have that much trouble either getting dick 
when I wanted it. The club is in the city where I live, and a lot of people. It had a it had a, a very strong regional reputation. It was well known throughout Tennessee, in Alabama, Georgia, North Carolina, you know, Kentucky, probably even Virginia. And people would come, especially from the country areas around the city in Tennessee, they would come on Fridays and Saturdays, more likely Saturdays, to have a good time and get crazy because it was like the wildest country jamboree you would ever see. Uh, It was a good, nice, clean, fun place to hang out. It was a safe area and it was fun. I benefited by having a straight girl with me. We would dance together and people sometimes would ask, are you two together? And I would quickly say, no, I'm gay. We're just really good friends and I'm just hanging out with her because she always hangs out with me, yada, yada, yada. As we went more frequently, on certain nights, we became, we were regulars, I guess, in a sense that people recognized us. And if you remember a previous episode where I said, you find a bartender, you be faithful to that bartender, you treat them right, and they'll treat you right. The same rule applied at this place. And we had our bartender, we treated him right, and he treated us right. And he was an awesome guy, and he would pour great drinks, and we tipped him well. And we also became friends with the DJ. He seemed to kind of like us. And I thought maybe people had hinted that he was gay, but he never really did say. And I never did pursue it. But I did flirt with him sometimes to get a song that I'd like to for him to play, that he would play it. When we become more like a fixture that was recognizable at this club, I felt freer to do, well, just I felt more independent. And so I would be more willing to flirt. And and to be honest, a lot of the gay guys from the clubs we went to would come there and there were always gay guys dancing and stuff. And nobody really got upset about it. It didn't seem, I'm sure it happened, but I never saw it. So getting drunk and tipsy and stuff and then feeling relaxed, you kind of let your guard down. And <laughs> I remember, well, I just remember foaming at the mouth at several guys. I mean, there is something about a guy in tight Wrangler jeans and cowboy boots and a cowboy hat and a, a denim shirt that's partially unbuttoned or a tank top or whatever. They have that kind of butch carriage about them that they, well, they carry themselves like a like a good old country boy. And that can be quite hot. It can be very, very sexy, very, very appealing. But you have to remember that they are country and they can be backward although they always seem to be very curious after a few beers the uh, the, the the restrooms were at the far end of this club and it was uh, like i said it was a very large club one night in particular there was a few guys that i was giving the eye and i wasn't paying attention to a lot of other people but these few i guess Jessica and I had developed a bit of a reputation of being a little wild, a little crazy, but really cool. And Jessica had made friends with these two guys. And one of them, they were really nice guys. And I hung out with them too. But one of the guys really did like her, really wanted to possibly date her. But we we developed the friendship and I could hang out with them and be a little bit freer, not thinking about other people around us might be hearing us talk and, and and me saying things that would be possibly sexual, but we would all laugh. One night, I had to go pee. Well, I had to go pee a lot. I don't want to say that I didn't pee there, but on this night, I went to pee, and I go in, and it was it was it was a 
not the biggest bathroom, but it was big enough for multiple guys to pee next to each other at the urinals and a few stalls beside it. So on this night, I wasn't paying attention. I was listening to the music that was playing that you could hear. And I was just at the urinal taking a piss. And a guy comes up beside me. And he is um, a very hot, muscular, blonde cowboy with his cowboy boots, his Wrangler jeans, his denim shirt. And I could, I'm could i just looking ahead, you know. And I can feel him. He turns to look at me. And he looks at me. And I kind of glance over. And he goes, hey. And I'm like, hey. And I knew then that he was drunk. And he says, are you queer? And I'm like, well, yeah. And he goes, huh, you want to suck my dick? And I'm just like, well, yeah, I want to suck your dick. And he turns around. I'm like, not here at the urinal. Go over here at the stall. <laughs> and then he was like, no shit. You'll, you'll suck my dick. I'm like, get your ass over in the stall. And he goes over to the stall. He's his dick out in his hand and I follow him in. I have to kind of push him in a little bit and close the door and he turns around and I go down on him and he's like, oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. And I'm like, you got to be quiet. If they hear us, they'll throw us both out of here and we could be arrested. And, you know, something right there should have probably told me that I wasn't fully prepared for the climax because I had no intention. Let's just say that when he came, he shot all over my shirt, half my face. I am in the middle of a redneck country dance club, partially soaked in jizz. And he's like, holy fuck, man, that was the best head I ever got. And I'm like, well, no shit, I can tell. Look at me. And he's like, yeah, I covered you in my jizz, didn't I? I soaked your ass, didn't I? And I'm like, okay, cowboy, that's a little bit over the top, but you know what? It's good. And then he, well, I guess fortunately for me, he's like, you want to go again? And I'm like, yeah. So by the time he was finished a second time, I was pretty much, well, in a dark club with a lot of the lights flashing. You couldn't really tell. And thankfully at the sink, I could wash off my face. I know you all have got a lot of comments to make about this story, don't you? And I know, Tim, if you're listening to this episode, you're yelling at me, why didn't you swallow? Well, let's just say circumstances got in the way and there was a slip and bam, there it went. But here's the interesting thing on top of that. We go back out of the out of the, the uh, men's room, you know, separately. He goes on his way and I'm on my way. And I started noticing that people were looking at me, not because they could see anything different, but they could smell it. And apparently that smell to some people is a pheromone that makes them want to devour you. And so a couple of the gay guys that I knew there, they picked up on it almost right away. And I was amazed by that. You wouldn't think that that could happen in a place like that, but it did. So here I am with a brand new cologne, apparently, that they thought I must have discovered in the men's room. And, well, technically, I did. What? And I do have several stories that I could tell about country boys, about hillbillies. But I think I'll save those for a different episode. So, all you sinners and saints out there, if you're considering hooking up with a, a country boy especially a cowboy, you just got to remember 
that a six pack of beer helps. And all you've got to do is say you love the Lord. Oh, and your mama and apple pie. But all kidding aside, I took a chance there. Had he asked me to go outside, it could have been a trap. I could have easily walked in outside with him and into a group of guys who could have beat me up, raped and killed me. You just never know. Luckily, that didn't turn out. And I think that had I, I was a little bit more street smart at that age and would have known better than to take that kind of a chance. But you know, one moment of weakness and it could happen. You know, this is a place where you still see Confederate flags to this day. Remember, this is a state where Republican politicians fought to keep the bust of Nathan Bedford Forrest in the Capitol building. He was the founder of the Ku Klux Klan. That's how backward we are. And if you understand that racism is still that prominent, you know damn well homophobia is. I'd like to say that other guys have not fallen into that trap, but they have. I consider myself lucky if there is such a thing as a guardian angel. Mine worked overtime every time I was out and about. But I just wanted to add that to this story that there is always a risk in hookups like that. Another interesting tidbit I'll share. A lot of times the country boys that I knew that I know they do tend to be, well, the facade, their image is always that they are tobacco-chewing, chain-smoking cowboys who love pussy. And how that works a lot of times is they tend to rationalize their behavior. There's a justification that as long as they're the top and not the bottom, it's okay. Because in their mind, the bottom is the girl and the top is always the man. So as long as you're a man fucking a girl, AKA a bottom, it's okay. You've not violated the laws of the Bible. Your Baptist minister father wouldn't be upset that you plowed some bottom bitch's ass because you're the top, you're the man, you're the dominant. I know that sounds awful. It sounds primitive. It sounds sexist, it sounds masochistic, but it's the truth. There are people, there are men in, that I know that that's how they rationalized their behavior. It wasn't two guys, they were fucking a bitch or letting a bitch suck their dick. Sounds pretty gruesome, doesn't it? To have a life like that. But it's how they live. That's just one part of what it's like living in the Bible Belt, in the South, in the country. <laughs> Yeehaw! Thank you for joining me in this Rip Snorting episode of Alan After Dark. I hope you've had fun. I hope you've been entertained. Remember to take life by the balls and be real. We'll see you soon.